Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody here today. And for those of you that are new, my name is Joey. I'm the lead pastor here. And I would love to um, get a second to kind of connect with you after the service. Uh, so um, if you might, wouldn't mind sticking around in the lobby so that I have a, a time to disconnect from all my wires and such, I would I'd love to, to meet with you and just uh, say welcome to our church and um, we are here, we're starting a new series today that is uh, uh, special on my heart. But before we get there, I just have a couple of quick announcements. Uh, the first of which is tonight is our membership class. For those of you that uh, have been coming for a while and want to take the next step in uh, your, your journey here at Vertical Life Church to go all in and say this is what is going to be our spiritual home, we're meeting tonight at 6 p.m. at my house. And uh, if you are planning on attending that, there are a couple of things. One, if you do not know where I live, it's because I'm off the grid. No, I'm kidding. Um, I have uh, little cards that have my address and a little map. They're at the VIP table. Stop by there on your way out to pick that up, as well as I have uh, some packets of information to send with you this afternoon to kind of look over, which will be the subject of our discussion tonight. So I want to get that to you so you have some time to kind of peruse that before our meeting. Uh, also, um, we packed way more shoe boxes this past week for Operation Christmas Child than what we intended to. It was pretty amazing. We just had a plethora of stuff, and I believe we are still 11 boxes shy um, of being able to fully fund every box that we packed to, to send overseas. So if you desire to sponsor a box, uh, it's only $9 per box to ship, and uh, the cool thing about it is that this year, with the paying for the shipping, there's a little QR code on the label that allows us to track where our boxes go. So we get to see what country we get, we're ministering to this year and, uh, and be able to follow up in the story uh, of how we're making a global impact here just by packing a Christmas present for a child for maybe the very first time. It's pretty amazing. And so if God may lay on your heart to walk in crazy generosity and, and sponsor a shoebox or two or 11, um, please, um, uh, on, in the offering bucket, if you have a, a, um, an offering envelope or if you're writing a checkout, just mark on there uh, for, to Vertical Life Church for Operation Christmas Child uh, sponsorship, and we will make sure that gets applied there so every box that we have can be sent out. Um, also, uh, today's the last day for the shoe uh, fundraiser. We've been collecting shoes over the last month or so to aid with uh, a fundraiser campaign for an organization called Compassionate Life, who sponsors completely self-sustaining ch uh, children's orphanage over in Swaziland in Africa. And uh, so they've been raising money for that outreach, and we are partnering with New Covenant here in town in order to raise money. So if you have shoes, today is the day that we are receiving those. If you don't bring them today, well, the deadline is this week, so uh, you'll have to find another place for your, your, your shoes. So, um, but uh, if you have those and can get them to us today, that would be awesome. As well, uh, the last couple of weeks in one of my leadership network meetings, and I'm a part of a pastor's meeting, a church about an hour south of us, Cornerstone of Highland, Michigan, they are partnering with an organization called Mission.me. And they have a really interesting ministry. They do short-term missions trips for churches. And they have a campaign they call One Nation, One Day. And the effort is to get a massive amount of followers of Christ together to descend on one nation in the world 
in one day evangelize the entire nation from coast to coast. And so this year, the, uh, the, the country is Peru, which is interesting because we just had Paul Hopkins, missionary to Peru, here a couple of weeks ago. And I was speaking with him, and he said that the dates of the mission trip this year coincide with the dates that they're going to be arriving in Peru to start their work in, uh, in the country for, uh, as um, foreign missionaries. And so I just thought that was an awesome and interesting coincidence. But the thing about the mission trips is they're not cheap. They're pretty expensive. It, the cost per person to go on the missions trip is $3,000, roughly. And it is due by May. So there's still some time. Uh, we have been, since our foundation, have been collecting mission funds to assist with a mission trip. So we can't cover the cost of everybody's trip, but we might be able to help reduce the cost depending on how many people uh, want to go on the trip. Um, but out at the VIP table, there are pamphlets like this. It talks about one, one nation, one day, uh, going to Peru. There are several different areas that they're, they're going to need help with. Some will be uh, medical missions. Some will be street evangelism. Some will be drama. Some will be uh, going into schools. There are a lot of different areas. And uh, we'll be partnering with Cornerstone, so we'll be a part of their team to, uh, to go down there. So if you are interested, I think it's an awesome opportunity to see God do some amazing things. They're also going to be doing some massive um, campaigns, some rallies, to uh, just preaching rallies, revival rallies while they're down there. So it's an opportunity to see potentially thousands of people come to Christ in, in, a, in a weekend, in a week. So it's a 10-day trip, 12-day trip. So there'll be a lot, of, um, a lot of things happening. So if you are interested, on your connection card inside your worship guide, just fill out your information, mark missions trip on there in the comment section, and we'll be in contact with you, or pick up one of these pamphlets at the VIP table. And I think it'd be awesome if we were able to send a team down there. I'll need to know relatively quickly who's interested so we can begin um, not only communicating with Cornerstone Church, but also begin potential fundraiser and fundraising campaigns for that. Hello? Uh, but uh, that, So that's exciting. So um, membership class tonight, mission trip coming up, and Operation Christmas Child are our announcements. So uh, again, we're starting a new series today. It's called Come and See. And this series, like the last couple, are really a continuation of thought or really the journey of what the next chapter is, I believe the Holy Spirit is leading us into as a church. I believe the Holy Spirit of God in this day and in this time is trying to get a hold of the church, not just here locally, but corporately around the world. And he's trying to bring to life, just, just like the songs we're singing, the dry bones coming alive. He's wanting to revitalize and reinvigorate the church to be on mission. And I think God is trying to get our attention and really teach us some things about what we as children of God, followers of Christ, what, what the purpose of our lives are, what the purpose and direction of our lives should be, especially as we worship together and we come together as the church of Jesus Christ. Several months ago, we went through a series called Re, and back then we, uh, we went through and just kind of recaptured the vision that God had given us when we planted the church, kind of really recentered or refocused again on the things that he wanted us to do and be as a light here in our community. And, um, and I just, I believe that was a, a powerful series. I saw people kind of talk about that series and what God was speaking to them during that. Uh, but before any move of God can be successful. 
before God will just unleash His Spirit and revival will, will just pour out, we need the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, uh, to His disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, said, When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, then you'll receive the power to become my witnesses. So it was vital that we really dug into who the Holy Spirit was, and we just completed a series on the Spirit of God where not only did we discuss who He is, what He does, what His ministry is, and what's available to us in Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, but we called on God to fill us with His power to be effective ministers and witnesses for Christ. And many during that series had radical encounters with Jesus Christ. And the amazing thing is, is that experience can happen every week that we gather together. When we come and we come expecting for God to encounter us, we pursue the presence of God, we can have encounters like that, where we see healing, where we see people filled and overcome by the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit begin to manifest in people's lives. The last two weeks, kind of in this Halloween season, this now holiday season, we talked about the zombie apocalypse. And though it was kind of tongue-in-cheek for, for the season, we were talking about how there is a reality that one day Jesus Christ is going to return. That is our hope. That is a promise. And when he returns, there are certain things that are going to unfold, things that are going to affect the entire world. And even though we know he's coming soon, those that do not know him or do not have a personal relationship with Jesus are going to be the ones who end up in judgment. And that is a sobering, sobering reality. It is a truth that not only does God emanate and define grace, love, mercy, and peace, He is also a righteous God who will judge. And the sad but true fact is for many who call themselves Christ's followers, the true nature of their hearts in the last day will be revealed. Jesus said he's going to separate his followers from those who are just playing lip service. They're going to be revealed. And even now, we see this falling away, this, this kind of trend that's been happening for 2,000 years where people who were excited about Jesus at one point begin to lose faith and turn away from God altogether because ultimately they're concerned more with the things of this world than they are the kingdom of God. And that has led us to this series today. Because every child of God, every follower of Jesus Christ, everyone who has said, Lord, I'm going all in with you. You are now my Lord and Savior. Every follower of Christ is called to be a disciple. And not just a disciple, but a disciple who makes disciples. We are to be reproducing ourselves. And a, a disciple simply is a student to a teacher. And in the days of Christ, as we're talking about being a disciple of Christ, it's not just like going to school today where you have, you know, math class and your teacher is, you know, Mrs. So-and-so and you're taking learning from her and then you go to Mr. So-and-so for history or whatever. That's not the same thing. In this day and age, a disciple was a person who not only learned theology or, or the things of God from a teacher, but they literally patterned their lives to reflect the very life of the one that they studied. When you were baptized, it symbolized giving up an old way of life and taking on a new way of life. So it was holistic. It was all-inclusive that when I say I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, it means I'm going to try with my best effort and in faith to pattern my life after the very one who is my 
teacher. And that is Jesus Christ. And just as important as growing closer to Jesus and becoming more and more like him is, we also need to be discipling other people. Not just recruiting, but also raising up other disciples of Christ. Just before Jesus ascended into heaven, his last days here after the resurrection, in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, this passage of Scripture is a passage that is considered or called the Great Commission. This is what theologians and teachers have, have coined the Great Commission. And here's what Jesus said, that his final instructions, that, that just before he left, you would think the last things that he says would be the most important thing that he would want his disciples to remember. And here's the last thing he says to his disciples in Matthew 28. Jesus came and told his disciples, verse 18, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is the great co-mission. This is where Jesus imparts the mission of the church, and that mission is to proclaim the good news that salvation has come to the ends of the earth, that for everyone who repents of their sin and turns to God in faith as they trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they can enter the kingdom of God, that they can begin a relationship with the Lord Most High and become His very children. Here at Vertical Life Church, we've kind of rephrased the Great Commission, and this is what we say is our stated mission as a church, why we exist. That we exist as Vertical Life Church to uh, engage people where they are and lead them to becoming fully developed followers of Jesus Christ. That within our mission statement is the very essence of the Great Commission. That we exist to engage people, to go out and encounter people, to share God's love, and to help them become everything God has intended for them to be. This is why we exist. We often refer to the mission of the church, uh, and more importantly, refer to this concept of, of being on mission as missional living, or being a missional church, or a mission of people. To be a missional church or to be a missional people is to be a people whose priorities and whose perceptions are filtered through the mission of God. Understanding that we don't exist to stay, but God has saved us to send us. He has sent us into the world. And when we trusted in Christ, and as we gather here this morning, we have to recognize that God has sent us to Clio, Michigan. God has sent us to our neighborhoods. God has sent us to maybe Mount Morris or Otisville or Birch Run or wherever you live. God has sent you to that location to be a light into the world. And living on mission is recognizing every moment I wake up that I am sent for a purpose. Being on mission as a church is being a sent church, recognizing that Jesus as he said, the Father has send, sent me, so I send you, that he is sending us now as a church into the world. So to frame this kind of in a practical way, in essence, we don't wake up to go to work. Monday morning rolls around, the alarm goes off, maybe 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 4 a.m., maybe 11 at night for third shifters. I don't, I don't know how, how it works. But the alarm goes off to wake you up for work. You're not going to work. 
You wake up to go on mission at work. That's what it means to be sent. You're waking up to go on mission. We don't, like as parents, we don't wake up to parent. We wake up in the morning to raise godly offspring. There's an intention behind it. We don't make plans for our own success and, and try to strive for a large 401k at the time we uh, retire. No, we seek the will of God for our lives and we follow his purposes. And we endeavor to fulfill that. We want to be not just a missional church at VLC, but we want to be a church that is full of missional people. Not a church that just supports missionaries overseas, but we want to be a church of missionaries. We want to be a church of missionaries where each of us understand and consider ourselves missionaries wherever we find our feet. Like when we go to Walmart, this is probably one of the most uh, engaging parts and convicting parts for me. My wife will tell you, whenever I'm out, I have headphones in. I'm either listening to a podcast or a sermon or, or worship music. I've always got noise in my mind I've always, or in my head. I've always got earphones in. And when I go to Walmart, it's easy just to be zoned out in what you're doing, get your list done, get through the self-check, and get back to your car. But God has been really convicting me as of late. And uh, one day, uh, you know, I was walking to Walmart. And, you know, I, I, maybe you're not as wicked as I am. But uh, the people of Walmart, you know, website always goes in my head when I go to Walmart. You know what I mean? Anybody know what the people of Walmart are? If you don't, it will change your life. So, you know, so, so don't, don't go online for that. But, uh, you know, you always have that tucked in the back of your head. Who am I going to see, at, you know, that might end up on the people of Walmart site when you go to Walmart? But the problem is, is that's a judgmental way of thinking, you know. And God, one day, uh, about a week or so ago, he convicted me. He said, you know, those people that you're criticizing or you're poking fun at, I died for them. And I love them just as much as I love you. And in a moment, God, it's just like something came over me and I started seeing everybody highlighted and I could just sense how much God loved this person and God loved this person and God loved this person. And it began to change my attitude. Like, you know, I might be picking up groceries, but God probably has somebody for me to encounter today. God has somebody for me to, to show his love and point to Jesus Christ. And so that's something I'm even trying to uh, wrestle with and struggle through in my own daily life, that in simple things, just like last second stops at Walmart to pick up the toothpaste you forgot, to remember you're not just going there to pick up essentials. You're going there to be a light for Jesus Christ, to bring hope to the world, at the grocery store, at the gas station, wherever you find your feet. And though this is our purpose, this is our goal as a church, this is our reason for existence, one of the greatest roadblocks that we encounter as children of God, as Christians, one of the greatest fears that we experience and things that, that, that I encounter in conversation over and over again, the greatest fear we have is actually speaking to people about Jesus. You know, we understand that we're to be a light in the world, we're to share God's love and, and tell people about Jesus. But the enemy has done an incredible job to make us afraid of the very thing we've been saved and called to do. The enemy has done a good job with filling our minds with doubts and fears that get in the way of opportunities to share the gospel and to lead others in hope 
of uh, Jesus Christ. And so when we get that opportunity where we see, okay, here's my chance, all of a sudden we have all these doubts and fears. Well, what if this? What if that? What if they say no? What if I'm awkward? What if, what if they don't, you know? And we pull away and we shrink back from the very calling God has put in our lives. But I believe now more than ever, not just for us in the world today, but right here in our church, Vertical Life Church, I believe it's vital that we capture the mission and the vision God has for the mission of the church, especially because some of the difficulties we've had over the past year or so. And and something that God taught me this past week as I was at a leadership conference, I hadn't heard this before, and it just made so much sense. And I thought, you know what, if we could capture this understanding, this mission, this vision, I think that God would be able to revolutionize our ministry here. A very familiar passage of scriptures in John chapter 10, verse 10. Here's what Jesus says. He says, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. He's, his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Have you heard that verse before? I mean, it's, it's very famous. I'm sure that at some point you've heard either a variation of that. And we know the thief is referring to Satan, Right? Right? Jesus said, I've come to bring life. I've come to give life abundantly, overflowing. This is why I've come. But the thief, the enemy, who robs, who steals, is only bent on one thing, stealing, killing, and destroying. And, and this is a powerful truth. But what I didn't realize is that God has embedded something in the spiritual economy, in the economy of God, that maybe we don't really realize uh, too often in our lives. As the thief is referencing to Satan, there's a powerful truth revealed to us in Scripture and a promise found in Proverbs chapter chapter 6 that reveals something that God has embedded just in the economy of God that should bring us hope and even give us a more of a passion and a rigor to be about the Father's business. Check this out. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 30 and 31. Read this with me. Excuses might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving. But if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. Let's look at that again. An excuse might be found for a thief who steals because he is starving, but if he is caught, he must pay back seven times what he stole, even if he has to sell everything in his house. This was um, shared with me by another pastor um, that I met. It was just kind of talking about some of our uh, you know, struggles over the last year or so. And, and he shared his story. And he said, you know, when we fell on hard times and we were going through some difficulties, you know, the only thing I knew to do is to go after the kingdom, to go after souls. Because when the enemy is robbing, when he's stealing, when he's, when he's destroying and you shine a light on that, the word says he has to pay back seven times what he's stolen. That means that there's a seven-fold blessing, a seven-fold blessing that is due to our church coming our way because of the losses that we have taken. And I just got encouraged with that. I was like, that means that we can stop focusing on maybe some of the things that aren't going right or, or some of the gaps or even some of the people that may have left over the last year, and we can focus on the kingdom because we have a promise from God that if we pursue the kingdom, if we go after the the harvest field, 
that there is a sevenfold blessing. For every person that is left, there are seven that are on their way. For every struggle that we've had, there are seven blessings that are coming. For every attack, there are seven victories on their way. I mean, this is something that should rise hope within you. And you might be going through a struggle, and Satan might be eating your lunch all over, left and right. You may have suffered physical loss, spiritual loss, maybe a family loss. There might be a loss at your job or in your finances. Recognize the attack might come from the enemy, but the blessing is coming from God. And it's only a matter of time if you're faithful and you keep pursuing the kingdom, that blessing is going to come sevenfold. Sevenfold. So we can get distracted with what the enemy wants to get us distracted with, or we can rise up as the people of God and go after the blessing that God has promised is due to us. Right now, more than ever, we need to be going after souls and not waiting for the church to have the perfect outreach event or community event. We, each of us, individually, need to be going after the kingdom to be pursuing and living on mission, taking advantage of every opportunity to sell someone about Jesus because it's up to us to bring in the sevenfold blessing. The sad but true fact is that all over the United States, the majority of church growth is from transfer growth. That means somebody got upset at this church and they decided to go try the church down the street. And then somebody gets mad at their church and then they go to the next church down the street. The Sabbath true fact, you can look statistically, the majority of church growth comes from transfer membership. But we want our driving engine of growth at Vertical Life Church to be salvation and decisions to follow Jesus Christ. I'm all about other believers coming, you know, if they move out of town and from out of town and they're here and and they come, I'm all about that. We want as many believers in Christ to be here, but each of us should be dead set on seeing people coming to Christ as our Lord and Savior and not just relying on people to, to come from other churches. We should be pursuing the kingdom of God and seeing lives being transformed even among us and not just on Sundays, but every day of the week if we're living on mission. And so this series, Come and See, is going to be a series over over the course of a few weeks about what many call personal evangelism. That one of of the gifts of the Spirit is the gift of evangelism. It's also uh, one of the the fivefold ministry that we see that Christ has gifted to the church. But personal evangelism is essentially you taking the gospel into your sphere of influence so that God can reap the harvest. And we're going to take a look at different aspects of what being a witness for Christ looks like to encourage all of us to be sharing the life-changing hope that is found in Jesus Christ, the very message people need to hear. And so today our main text is in John chapter 1. If you have your Bible, you can turn to John chapter 1. The verses should also be on the screen as well. If you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can navigate to our events page and be following along with the passages of Scripture there. And so we have several ways for you to engage. But in John chapter 1, here we're reading about who Jesus is. It's the introduction of of John's gospel, and we're introduced to a guy named John the Baptist. And the ministry that John the Baptist was fulfilling was to prepare the way for Christ. He was the forerunner or the prophet who would come before to prepare the hearts of the people for the ministry of the Messiah. He would be the one that prepares the way. 
And so in John chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 29 as we're reading in this story. And in John 1, 29, the Word of God says this. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting upon him. I didn't know he was the one, but when God sent me to baptize with water, he told me, the one you see the Spirit descend and rest upon is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I saw this happen to Jesus. So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. The following day... John was again standing with two of his disciples. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, Look, there is the Lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following. What do you want? He asked them. And they replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? 39, Jesus says, come and see. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying and they remained with him for the rest of the day. So the title of this series is called Come and See, but the title of this message is Jesus is the Stairway. Somebody say, Jesus is the Stairway. He is the Stairway. He is the the Pathway. He is the Way, the Truth, and the Life. The first point I want to make about being a witness for Christ as we're getting into this story is, number one, Jesus has invited you to experience Him. This is not an intellectual religion. This is not just a a mental assent to a a faith uh, or a, a, a way of belief. This is an experience that Jesus has invited you into. If you think about a relationship with anybody you have here on the earth, you don't have a relationship just because you mentally know the person exists or that you mentally know that, that they live on such and such street. Now, you have a relationship with them because you experience that person. You talk with them. You spend time with them. You go places together. You have memories together. This is an experience. And so Jesus has invited you to experience them, him. Think about your, conver- or your conversion experience to Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've maybe accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, think about what happened the moment you said yes to the Lord and you gave your heart to him. When you realize that every sin that you've committed was forgiven, including every sin you'll ever, for, ever commit in the future. Think about who you'd be without Jesus Christ. That is a sobering reality. When I think about who I might be without my faith and my relationship with Christ. When you think about what God has done in you and for you and the life you'd be living even up until this point if it were not for Jesus, you have an experience. You experience something powerful deep into your soul. You see, the most powerful story that you can tell about Jesus is your story. It's your story. That's why we say week after week, we believe everyone matters to God. You do. He died for you. 
But you matter to God because so does your story. Because your story is a, a, a telling of the miracle of God in your own life. But what happens to a life that's changed and transformed when you place your faith and trust in Christ, when you begin a relationship with God? Everyone has a story. Everyone has a background. And that story is the most compelling story, the most compelling evidence you could share. It's your testimony. The time when you encountered Jesus, when you took him up on the offer to come and see. Jesus invited you into an experience. We have to recognize that before you were saved, before you began a relationship with God, Jesus didn't ask you to become a scholar. That's a good thing because not everybody likes to study. Right? He didn't ask you to become a scholar or to memorize three or four books of the Bible and then give you a quiz on how much you knew before you could have a relationship with him. No, he just said, come and see. Believe. Trust. And when you did, he filled your heart with his love and gave you hope and changed your life. I hear people all the time say to me, especially as of late, because the unfortunate reality is we've, as a church family, have had a few funerals over the last week. And so in part of just counseling and being there for the families, you have conversation. And one of the things I heard over and over again in each of those situations was people said, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have Jesus. I don't know how I would have made it through if I didn't have Jesus. Why? Because Jesus invited you into an experience. You're experiencing your faith, the peace that passes all understanding, the hope that comes in the midst of the greatest darkness. Having a relationship with Christ changes things. And he has changed your life. And he can and will change somebody else's life. That's what he does. And the same call to you to come and see, to experience what a relationship with Christ will do in your life is the very same call he wants you to send out to others. Come and see. The second point I want to make today is that Jesus wants you to invite others to the experience, not to a debate. This is where I went wrong for the most of my life, thinking, you know what, if I just argued people to death, they'd give their lives to Christ. It doesn't really work out that way. Usually, you just both end up mad, and if there was a friendship, there not, might not be one after that. So it's not a debate. It is an invitation to an experience. In John chapter 1, verse 43, the story continues. It says, the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, come follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathanael and told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And this is just a very a telling portion of scripture. The first thing I want to make note of is that Jesus asked Philip to come follow him. But what does Philip do? He didn't follow Jesus. He went to go tell Nathaniel, right? So Jesus said, come and see, come and follow me. But Philip turns around and goes to Nathaniel. Why? Because Philip wanted somebody else to have the same experience he was having. And he had the very person in his mind that he wanted to tell. And he had this Nathaniel in his mind that he wanted to tell about this experience that happened to him when he encountered Jesus. And this should be what motivates us to tell others about Christ, not guilt or obligation. It should be love and excitement. 
Thinking about this is what God did for me. This is what God did in me. I want this to happen to you. Come and see. Come and experience. And because Philip was overwhelmed with joy, he knew that there was somebody else in his life. He knew right at the top of his mind who he wanted to tell. When it comes to telling people about the Lord and personal evangelism, many of us think we're just supposed to go to random strangers and, and share the gospel. And there is a time for that. God may lead you to do that at some point. But some of the most effective methods of reaching people, and what I believe is the engine of what Jesus even patterned for us in the scripture, is that he wants you to share with the people you're connected to already. He wants you to connect with people that you already know, your sphere of influence. And we see right here, Philip went to Nathaniel. In verse 46, in John chapter 1, Nazareth exclaimed Nathanael, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Notice that Philip didn't go to tell somebody who already believed. He didn't go to, you know, such and such fellowship church down the road and say, Hey, come check out my church. No, he went to somebody who didn't believe, who had no concept of who Christ was. He, he went to someone he knew was a skeptic. How intimidating is that to know that there's somebody in your life who you know is a skeptic that doesn't believe, but yet that's the person Philip went to tell. Why? Because the skeptic needed Jesus more than probably anybody else he knew. He went to tell this skeptic, come and see Jesus. And this guy had these preconceptions of everything that, that could come from this land of Nazareth. He put up a wall of defense about this idea of who Jesus even was. But what does Philip do? Does Philip go into a debate and begin breaking down all the theological arguments as to why Jesus is the Son of God? No, look what Philip says. He says what? Come and see. Come and see for yourself. Come and experience who Jesus is. It's the very same thing that Jesus said to his disciples, come and see. And when it comes to personal evangelism, to sharing the gospel and being a light, to living on mission, I think we so overcomplicate the issue because we think we have to know every scripture before we can talk intellectually about Christ. We need to know every argument and every subject that could possibly come up before being worthy or, or confident to talk about Jesus, especially to skeptics like Nathaniel. And so we ask questions like, well, what if people ask me something I don't know? Or what if I don't know the answer and don't know what to tell them? Or, you know, it, what if they say something that stumps me and I look like a fool? And so because of this fear, what do we do? What do we do naturally? Well, we don't say anything at all. We shrink back. See, Philip didn't draw this man into a debate. He invited him to an experience to see and experience Jesus for himself. That's why we refer to our Sunday morning gatherings as worship experiences, not services. Services, you're, you're providing something for people. No, we invite you here to experience God each and every week. The presence of the Lord is here. And I say it all the time, and I believe it with my whole heart, that if you come with an open mind and a ready heart to engage with the presence of God, with an expecting heart, you can have an encounter that will transform your life week after week after week. I believe it. 
And if we really believe the word of God and we really believe his promises, then we must believe too that if people who are far from God come to church with us on Sunday, they too are going to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. If we really believe it. But we also must be careful that we don't place our hope in the wrong things. And some things I've also observed and and have even wrestled with in my own life is many of us think that if we invite people to church, we want them to hear that great music. We want them to come hear that great sermon or that message, and we place all of our eggs in the the basket of the things that that we do when we're here as if the earthly things are going to win them over. And if you're betting on me to preach an out-of-this-park message every week so that people will get to know Christ or for the praise team not to have technical difficulties or have a cold and sing-off pitch and, and just kind of ruin the vibe, you know, when we're trying to do our best up here, then you're going to sadly be disappointed because it's not in our singing and it's not in our preaching that win people over. No, it's in encountering the very presence of God. What is just as, if not more important than what we actually do on Sunday is actually how much you have prayed for our service leading up to Sunday. How much you have spent in time with God praying for an encounter, praying for His Spirit to be here, leading up to how much you've prepared your heart to be ready to encounter the presence of God. That, more than anything, is important than what we do right here. Sending the Spirit ahead of you so that he is here ready to work and move when we gather together. What we have to realize is the only thing powerful enough to lead someone to faith in Christ is encountering the presence of God. When the truth is revealed and his presence is overwhelming, lives will be changed. You cannot help but to respond to the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is at work and it convicts hearts, it softens hard hearts, and it strengthens those who are weak. When people receive a healing because of the power and presence of God, when a word is spoken over that speaks to the very depth of their heart, revealing things that no one else knows, people have an encounter with Christ. It does amazing things. Again, it's not in the talent of the person that will make the difference. It is in the power and presence of God. And this is why we seek to be a spirit-filled church because we want everyone to encounter his presence when we gather together. Matthew 18, 19, and 20, Jesus said, I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask my Father in heaven, we'll do it for you. For where two or three gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. When any of you agree together, I will be there. This is why it's so important as a church to be in unity because when we agree, God moves. When we agree, miracles happen. Now, I used to think that just because we met for church, that meant Jesus was here, that he was among us. But have you ever been in a church that you knew in your heart the Spirit of God was not in that place? It was empty, hollow, lifeless. They sang the songs. There was a message preached, but it was as if everyone was spiritually dead. I have. And why is that? It's because even though there was a gathering, they were not unified, or if they were, they're not unified in the things that bring glory to God. 
So they're not going to be calling down the presence of God. They're unified in maybe a music style. This is approved for worship. Or maybe a version of the Bible. This is approved for worship. But they're not unified in the very thing that calls down the power of God. And that is love for him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love for people as yourself. Seeking the gifts of the Spirit. Seeking the presence of God. Praying on your knees until the earth shakes. This is what calls down the power of God. This is why we want to be driven by love as a church. Why? Because Jesus said, they'll know you're my followers by the love that you have for one another. This is why we want to be driven by excellence. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people and everything we do should be an act of worship to God. We should be committed as a church. Why? Because a people driven by faith please the Lord. And we should be spirit-filled. Why? Because the anointing of God empowers you to be a witness for Jesus. And people need to see and experience the very presence of God in their lives. We don't just have an intellectual faith. We have an experiential faith. And so many turn away because they don't experience the very things they say they believe. We should be praying for the presence of God in this place. We should be anticipating the presence of God. We should be responding in faith to what God does in our hearts when we gather together. For when we gather in agreement and in unity, calling on God to reveal himself, Jesus will be in this place, and he is the one the people need to encounter. Through your love, your encouragement, your kindness, the Spirit of God working in you, they will experience the Lord. And when people encounter the presence of God, lives change. Look at Nathanael's response in John chapter 1, verse 46. Nazareth exclaimed Nathanael, Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. And as they approached Jesus, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know about me? Nathanael asked. And Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus asked him, Do you believe this just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. And then he said, I tell you the truth. You will all see heaven open and the angels of God going up and down on the Son of Man, the one who is the what, church? The stairway between heaven and earth. People need to encounter Jesus. Did you see that when Nathaniel encountered Jesus and Jesus spoke into his life, what his skepticism was centered on had no relevance to his life. Everything that he was skeptical about, everything that he had as walls in his heart to faith, everything that was kind of preventing him from wanting to pursue Jesus in the first place, none of that mattered when he had an encounter with Christ. Jesus is the stairway. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to be bringing people to him for only he can change their lives. It's not just about coming to church. It's about coming to Jesus. Jesus is the stairway. When Nathaniel meets Jesus, the secrets of his heart are revealed and he realized that God knew him intimately and wanted a relationship with him. Nathaniel was so overwhelmed that he shed his skepticism and he faith plunged deeply into the Savior. And it was one encounter. That's all it took. It was one encounter with Jesus Christ. And he went from skeptic to a powerful representation of who Jesus is as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now I believe, church, it's time for us 
to focus on what will truly change people's lives, and that is Jesus. Jesus, 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 for he is the stairway. He is the pathway to God. He is the way to life transformation. We need to be inviting people, urging people to come and see, beginning with those that we know. Let's bow for prayer in this place as we begin to just go into a time of response and a time for prayer. Let's ask the Holy Spirit together, Lord, what are you saying to me? How have I been as a witness for Christ? What have I made being a Christ follower about? Have I made it about the church I go to or have I made it about the the style of music? Have I made it about the translation of the Bible? Have I tried to think that everything had to be right before someone could respond to Jesus or am I truly centered on inviting people to see and experience Jesus for themselves? Have I been praying to have an expectant heart? Lord, have we been coming to this place ready to have an encounter with you or have we just been coming to fill our spiritual time card? Open our eyes, Lord. Speak to our hearts. Reveal what is deep within us and light us on fire. God, we recognize that even now there is a sevenfold blessing ready to be reaped. Do not let us stay idly by and let it pass us by. God, I pray that our church would find the call and hear the call to mission and that each of us would purpose in our heart to be a missionary in our own sphere of influence. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in us today. In Jesus' name. As the music begins to play, we stay in an attitude of prayer. I just pray right now that whatever God is doing in your heart, if you need prayer for anything at all, my wife and I will be down front to pray with you. Maybe you want to be a better witness for Christ. Maybe you realize that you've not been bold in your faith. Then you want to seek boldness. Maybe you know your relationship is not as close with God as it should be. You're not growing like you should be and maybe you've gotten away from God and you just want to get close to God again. Maybe there's somebody in your life right now. Maybe they're a skeptic. Maybe you know they're far from God and they need a relationship with Jesus desperately. Maybe you want to just come down and we can agree together that God will give him an encounter with the Lord. Maybe you have an illness. There's something that you're battling with. Whatever it is, for the next few moments, we're going to open the service for a time of prayer. You come forward and we'll pray together. If you have an encouraging word for the church, maybe God has led something on your heart to encourage the church, the microphone is down here. You're welcome to come and share that encouraging word. But for the next few moments, let's just respond to what God is doing. Then we'll receive our offering and be dismissed.